Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning we have the privilege of hearing from Chuck Pals. And Chuck, if you do not know who Chuck is, Chuck is a is a dear brother and he'd hate anyone he hates when people talk about him, but he really is a dear friend who I think in his in his own life just have, has a testimony of God's faithfulness to him and his family and to the work that God's given him to do over and over and over again. And I think one of Chuck's giftings is the gifting of encouragement. And so as we hear him share God's word with us, it, it's one of just God working through him to bring the word t- to us today. And we just were so grateful for Chuck. We affectionately referred to Chuck as the godfather of the churches over here. And uh, he's really the one who, who God has significantly used in the life of the, the churches in Chicago here to just bring the testimony of Jesus Christ and to continue to remind us. God has used them to remind us about our desire to continue to plant churches and see God's kingdom advanced. And so God has, has used Chuck and Vi both to continue to remind us to do that over and over. And we get sidetracked like, guys, we got to get back on track what God's called us to do. And so we're privileged this morning to hear from Chuck and just the things that God has been showing him in the past few months of his life. And so let's just welcome Chuck. Thanks, John. Uh, You talk about the Godfather. And uh, I've had a fellow that I've known for many years, and he he called me this past week. He's... uh, part of um, the Italiano guys, you know, and he thinks he's the godfather of, uh, of this world. And But we rented, I, I got to know him because we rented a building from him for uh, several years. And um, he is, um, he, he tries to, um, in a way he wants you to think that he's this tough Italian guy, you know what I mean, that is part of the other set of society, but whenever he's in trouble, he calls for me for some reason or other. And I've, he's got this huge office with this high ceiling with all these pictures on it of all these kind of guys that are pretty tough guys, you know, uh, in Chicago. And um, anyway, he, he's been, um, he's just been one of those kind of guys. He's not saved. Uh, he's one of those kind of guys in life He's just done everything opposite of what we feel God wants us to do. I mean, he had two sons. They're, they're uh, my Tim and Todd's age, so they, they know them, and they're really quite decent guys. I don't know them as much as I know uh, Jerry, but um, he divorced his wife, and that was a big, huge fight, and he married somebody that was... 15 years younger than his youngest son and you know all of this kind of thing every every turn then that that one's gone and then there was another one and now he's two and a half years married into this other lady and he was telling me the other day on the phone and um he has so much pain in his neck that he thinks about killing himself now and so guess what time to call chuck and so be praying about that i've got a lunch with him on tuesday uh, right after our meeting, actually, uh, at 11.30 down at his favorite little Italian place on Taylor Street, which gives me sort of the willies when I go in there. But 
<laughs> he always gives me this big hug and this kiss on the cheek, and I go, you know, it's what <laughs> it doesn't, but um, I've really, um, Vi and I were traveling yesterday, and I, I just thought that um, I really need boldness that goes beyond what he considers a friendship with me. I need to say, I need to look him in the eye and say, Jerry, you know what? All of this has come to one central point where you need the Lord. You know, you need, he told me that his friends that, um, you know, they died and then they go to, because I asked him one time, I said, do you have any relationship with God at all? He said, well, he said, you know, you've seen those funerals on TV, he said, where they all go to the same Catholic church in River Forest. I said, okay, I know about that. That's not my question. So there, there is this thing of knowing that, but yet he's this tough guy. Like, I called him back on the phone. He left a message. I called back. I ring his phone. He says, hello, Jerry, Chuck. Oh, oh, Chuck. Oh, hi, Chuck. How are you? I was wondering if we could catch lunch. I got so much pain. I can't stand it no more. I can, by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I can't even go, I can't even go out in the evening anymore. I was this, that, this long thing, you know, and... Um, so pray that this, I mean, I'm in the business right now of, of um, telling people about the cross and about Jesus, encouraging those who are saved and encouraging those who aren't to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the years that God has given me left, I want to try and be as effective as I possibly can um, telling people about the goodness of God. And um, so let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just pray now that as we share a bit about life itself, um, we realize that you are so kind and you are so good to us as a people. All these years, oh God, you've been good to me. You've been kind to me. Your arm has never been shortened. And you have cared, and you have cared for us and kept us under the shadow of your own wings. In spite of our sinful nature, Lord Jesus, you gave us a revelation of the cross, and through the Holy Spirit, our hearts have been circumcised. We come to know you as our personal Savior. And now, O oh God, in our lives, let us be effective in introducing people to the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to save us and offer us eternal life if we just turn to you, O oh God. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the health of this church. I pray for Johnny and his leadership and their wives, those who have served so faithfully, all of us. And I pray, O oh God, that in, the, in these churches that you have allowed us to establish, that your grace would be very, very clearly displayed among the people. And Lord Jesus, they would grow out of the abundance of your wealth and your prospering, O oh God. That we would become a people who are rich in spirit. O oh God, that, that only you can provide. I pray now, O oh God, over these people, Lord Jesus, that you would touch them mightily, that the work here would grow in grace, in mercy, and many would come to recognize that through your Son, Jesus Christ, there is and will forever be eternal life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome among us, and we believe that in this place here, as we meet today, anything can happen in Jesus. Amen.
So the last time I spoke with you, I considered myself healthy spiritually and healthy physically. Uh, I did not know, however, that um, my annual physical, at my annual physical, which was two or three weeks later, it would be revealed to me that, um, that I had a disease, a bone marrow disease, that was, uh, as the doctors would call it, terminal. And uh, I didn't even realize it when it, the results first come back, but i just give you a little brief history of this because I think it's important for me that the church knows it and that I can be prayed for, and also, in spite of that, that we can be encouraged that Johanna, I believe it was Johanna that was spoke here, right? Uh, she had the whole thing in a nutshell, really. I thought we could really go home now because that's my message. You know, that in spite of everything, everything that's going on, um, she must have thought more of her message than mine because she's not here any longer. So did she go down? <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, think, I think the encouraging thing to me is that it is not about me it's not really about any of us. We come here, and whether we're setting up chairs or serving coffee or leading this work or watching children or on and on the list goes, we do it all for an audience of one, and that's Jesus Christ. We have to keep in mind it's the audience of one that we're doing it for. And oftentimes people have said to me, well, what do you see in the future? And What's your vision for churches? And I said, I would much rather have uh, see, this goes way back, I'd much rather see 10 churches of 250 than one church of 2,500, only because the eyeball-to-eyeball relationship with one another can cause us to be encouraged in the Lord, to understand the depth of what one another are, are going through and how through Jesus Christ we can come not only to redemption, but we can come to a solution in those in those areas of life. And as she boldly spoke here, uh, the truth of the matter is, through all these difficult periods, um, God has a way. I'm really not one who believes that necessarily my condition, uh, I believe that I can be attacked by the enemy through those things. But I believe Jesus has even allowed it, that I wasn't healed the first day or the first week, but he has allowed it to continue um, for the for his own glory and his own purpose, this this I found this out about the second week in June, and uh, what, what it actually is is um, your bone marrow is um, consists of platelets which you have to have in order for life to exist in your body, and the minimum amount of platelets that you're you have you're supposed to have is one hundred and fifty one thousand. It's supposed to be between 151,000 and 450,000. They drop the three zeros to make it easier. To, so the basic thing is you need at least 151, and you should have between 151 and 450. And my doctor called me back after my physical, and he said, hey, he said, your platelets are in bad shape. You only have 28. And uh, 28 is pretty hard to live with because you lose your whole cushion of, you know, the minimum you can't have zero. You can't really have five or ten. And then and 28 is not very far from that when you're thinking about 151. or So, and my blood and red uh, uh, cells, blood cells were not where they should be either, but they were not as critical, it didn't seem like, as what 
my um, platelets were, but on the other hand, they all three worked together. Um, so that was a shock to me, but I wasn't really realizing at the time because I wasn't too medically astute in that area. But Im- he immediately called me and he said, I, I'm going to have you meet with a hematologist uh, out of the Ingalls system, which is the program that he was working with. And he said, I want him to, to determine how serious this is because he said, uh, it's not something that I handle. I'm just a regular uh, GP. I want you to meet with him. And even then, I didn't think, I, I didn't think it was that serious. So I made an appointment. They wanted me to get in right away. Three days later, I went there. To make a long story short, Vi went with me, uh, met this great guy, um, uh, Dr. James Wallace. You can pray for him, too. Found out that he's also on staff at uh, Chicago, uh, uh, University of Chicago Hospital, and um, so after he questioned me a bit, looked at the results, he said, well, he said, I have a, I'm in team with um, the folks at Chicago Northwest, uh, no, University of Chicago, and he said, I'm going to call one of the best hematologists I know in the city. His name is Dr. Arts, and he dials him up on the phone right then. He said, hey, he said, I have a fellow here that I want you to see. Prior to that, I went to the office for the meeting with Dr. Wallace, and there's all these signs on the wall about chemotherapy and stuff, and I'm thinking... What is this? What is this going on? I'm and people very sick going in and out of there, and I thought this thing might be a little worse than I'm contemplating because I'm feeling great, and you know, except I had a couple little things happening. I was bruising easily, and I had a couple little blisters in my mouth, blood blisters occasionally that would come and go. And um, so anyway, while he's sitting there, he dials him up on the phone. He said, hello, Dr. Arts, I'm sending this fellow over. This was like on a Thursday. He said, I'm sending him over What's as soon as you can see him. And uh, they must have said Monday. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, Monday won't work for him, me. You know, he's got him on the phone. I said, because I'm going away with my family over the 4th of July. And, and he still, he says, yeah, I know. He says, he'll be there Monday. He said, at what time you want him there? He this guy doesn't even listen to me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm going away. I, my whole family's arranged to do it. And he, um, he says, and the only good thing he said was this. He said, I'm sending him over. He says he's a robust-looking guy. He said he's, only, he's about 58, 59 years old. And I thought, hallelujah, I must look pretty good yet because that's about 10 years younger than I really am. So <clears throat> anyway, he hung up the phone. He said, I said, hey, I said, I, I'm going away with the family. He said, if you ever want to go away again, he said, you'll go to this appointment, he said, because we want to work with you to have um, extend your life so that, uh, but he said, you will have to cancel going away with your family if you want to go with them, away with them on a regular basis in the future. That's when it hit me. I thought, this thing is way worse than what I had anticipated. Oh, and then he followed that up by saying, because you are a very sick man. Now, when you're feeling terrific, and somebody says, you are a very sick man, and just the day before, you're doing everything that you did your whole life. And I was as strong as I've always been. I slept good, I eat good. You can see that I still eat good. And, but that, you know, I, it, it's, just, it's just such a shock. And my friend uh, uh, Donna, I always know her, know her as Donna Katinsky, but uh, it's Michael's now, and uh, we received that. Um, but anyway, she just has a shock of her life as well this past week. Um, because they come as a shocking event. So I spent a couple of days, I must admit, and I think I'm pretty strong, but I spent a couple of days just really, I mean, it broke me, to be honest with you. I just couldn't, I couldn't hold back the tears. I couldn't hardly go to work. I couldn't, 
you know, I just, uh, it was just, you know, I hadn't really dug into that part of the word yet. In real, I preached healing for 40 years, for four decades. But all at once, application was at hand. You can preach it. But all at once, when you have to apply it, it's a whole different story. And uh, very strangely, about two weeks before, I had this event, which I found out about this event. Um, the, the Lord gave me a word, and my word was, the word he gave me was, on July 25, I was 70 years old, and the Lord gave me a word that... Um, as I approached my 70th year, that um, my next few years, because of my age and because the boys are running the business and we got great leadership in the churches, and um, I'm really never having this much fun in my life, to be honest with you, you know, once this thing occurs. And uh, the Lord gave me this word that in the next few years, in fact, it was the Lord, I felt the Lord spoke to me in the next 10 years you'll produce more for me than all the other 40 years put together just by the gifting that lies within you. And then I had this Psalm 1 as a promise to that. While I was listening to a, uh, a CD that I had just sort of accidentally picked up, was confirmation to me that that was the word of the Lord for me. And uh, two weeks later... I find this thing out. In the first meeting with the doctor, he indicated that it was so serious that um, it wasn't days or weeks for urgency of it, um, but it was months. So that would have been right about coming up around November. I would experience, he didn't really say the word, but it sounded like it was pretty well either all over or it would be so bad that you wished it was over. (laughs) And um, so at at that point, um, he said to me also, he said, I want to do a bone marrow extraction next week. And I had heard about bone marrow extractions before, and they didn't sound like they were a real walk in the park to me. And uh, so I said, well, I'd like to be put out for it. I said, do do you ever get put out for that, you know? No, he said, we don't put people out for that. He said, oh, he said, it's not that bad. And I said, no, 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 I, he's maybe insurance. Well, I said, look, I will pay for it myself. I want to be put out. I said, I would, I, I worked my whole life. I got enough money to pay for it, whatever it takes. I said, I want, I want to be put out. And I said, okay, okay, we'll put you out, he said. So they did it at Angles here, put it out, and came out fine, except uh, when they did it. I mean, I was black and blue from here all the way down to here because they go in with this, seven and a half inch needle and the only place they can get the bone marrow is out of the out of the core of your hip so they got to go all the way down they all got all the way down in there and then they take these cores out of it and in order to get a core it's not just a little fine needle it's a bigger needle so but but it you know it wasn't bad i was i was out you know so i was (laughs) i came out the doctor said how you feel i said great he did me a high five you know and I'm sitting on this big pack of ice, you know. He said, I want you to sit on that ice for two hours. Well, that was the worst part of it. But anyway, they found out then that, yeah, then they wanted me to, um, to go to, North, uh, to Chicago, uh, University of Chicago, where the first order of business with Dr. Arts was that I have another bone marrow extraction over there because they were looking for some chromosomes in there that 
would indicate how far this thing has progressed. They wanted to pinpoint it because this line here, here's leukemia, and here's this thing that I got called MDS. Um, and they want to see how close that's getting to leukemia. And sometimes it doesn't get to leukemia, and sometimes it does. They wanted to pinpoint that. So um, I'm just sharing this with you because I need, I need you to be praying for me. So I went to um, University of Chicago, met Dr. Arts, had found out um, previously from Dr. Wallace that he had a, do- a little baby girl who was blind and who had cancer of the retinas in her eye. And uh, now, how, why would the doctor ever tell me that? He's got these all these patients. But I thought, you know what? There's things happening that are sort of supernatural. So I've been praying for this little girl. We get to Dr. Arts, and I said, by the way, when he's done with me, I said, by the way, we're praying for your daughter, you know, that, that God would heal her. And he, he had gotten up, and he stopped, and he turned around, and he looked at Vi and I, because he thought, I think what he thought in his mind, he thought, I just dumped the worst load you could ever dump on a guy, and he's telling me that he's praying for my daughter. What's this guy about? You know what I mean? And uh, he was very definitely affected by it. Uh, nothing, no, you know, he didn't, he didn't say anything other than a few little words about it, but you could tell that he was really struck by it. Anyway, second, second sort of miraculous thing was at University of Chicago, they do not put you out no matter how much you'll pay because they do 1,500 of them a year, and uh, you get a bone marrow, you get a bone marrow like everybody else. So I went in there uh, four days later. The other side now, this side's black and blue. Yeah, well now she, so they said, looked at it, and they said, I think we better do the other side. I said, oh, okay, it's great. And so they, give, uh, they gave me a little pill that's sort of supposed to deaden it a little bit and a little shot in the arm uh, that's supposed to deaden it a little more. And another shot back here that's supposed to deaden it a little more. And uh, anyway, this fantastic lady comes in to do it. I, well, first of all, there was a doctor there that was going to do it, and then all at once he disappeared, and this other lady came in. I don't know if she was a doctor or a nurse, very close to being a doctor, but her name was Jean Ridgway. And uh, she proceeded with the, she said, I'm, you're a little thing that's going to feel like a bee sting. Um, well, I'm used to getting stung. I live in the country. I get stung by bees every summer. You know, it doesn't bother me. I thought, that's not too bad. And bang, you know, you get a little bee sting. Okay, I, I went through that part of it. She starts talking about, we start talking about the Lord together. And uh, lo and behold, she goes to a church about the size of this. Small church, charismatic church, wonderful church. We're talking, 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 talking about the Lord. The Lord is providing a miracle for me. And I'm so engrossed in this thing. I'm not even realizing what's going on, except I can feel her pushing and pulling, and, and Vi wanted to stay in the room, and she suggested not, because she thought Vi would pass out, because I guess they screw this thing into your bone, you know, once they get in there. And so they think that Vi would be good to see that. And uh, so Vi's sitting there thinking, oh, what's this guy going through? And I'm talking about the Lord. I'm sort of, you know, I can feel her in there, but I, you know, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And so then finally she was done, and we had talked this wonderful thing about the Lord. And I asked the Lord when I had this, when I found out about the disease, I asked the Lord for two things. I said, one, out of, out of the book of Psalms, could my face remain radiant as I go through this? And secondly, could you keep pain far from me or as far as possible from me? I have never heard of a person who had the bone marrow extraction who said it wasn't too bad. 
And I mean, I, I, I got all finished, and I could say, oh, that was not that bad. You know, not, I can't say that it was, it was perfectly painless, but it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And so um, I praise God. I thought it was a real, a real, real miracle. Um, and uh, from this one shot, I felt like it was a little woozy, you know, and sort of that, that didn't go too good. But I mean, that, that's no, no problem, really. But I, see, I felt this thing, this urging of God, that he was allowing this thing to happen to me so that I would be much more aware of people and their circumstances than I ever was in my life before. And so then this word of, came to the Lord that, that God gave me two weeks earlier about my health um, from Psalm 1 where it said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit on the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the way, and depending on your translation, uh, his delight is in the way or the law of the Lord, and in his law or way he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. And it's funny because as I read through that, I just thought, here I'm approaching my 70th year. This is what God's promised me. Now I have this. How does that relate to the word that God has given me here? And uh, as, I, as I read that, I thought about a tree, and I thought about meditation day and night. And I thought, for, for years now, I've thought to myself that the first thing I need to do every morning is feed my inner man through the word of God that I can't go to work, I can't do anything until I've fed my inner man and fed my soul with the things of the Lord. It's no way to start out the day. It's no way to go to work. It's no until I have that feeding. And I thought to myself, meditation is not really memorization. Like, I can't, I can't be memorizing the Word of God and trying driving my car and memorizing or walking around memorizing the word. When I have to learn to meditate, or walking down the sidewalk, as this one fellow said to me, uh, tripping over dogs and cats and running into lampposts and stuff as I'm reading the word of God. I need to understand it starts with memorization, but meditation is different than, than what, um, what memorization is. And you need to, as you are soaking in God day and night, you cannot really do that without feeding your soul when you get up in the morning. Where you get, it, get up early enough and you feed your soul from the Word of God. Vi just shared a little thing with me this morning uh, from a little book she has of Smith Wigglesworth, who was a great, great pastor in the 19th century, early on, what, 100 years ago, Vi, or something? You, you want to read it or not really? No, okay. She doesn't want to read it. But, she, but if you ask her, she'll read it to you. But here's a guy that he was, so, he was so engrossed in praying and believing God for good things that the only book he really ever entertained was the Bible. He said he didn't even really want to read, read the newspapers because he didn't want the newspapers to influence what he was using to feed his own soul. And I thought to myself, boy, that is amazing, really. Because if we drench ourselves in... In, in NBC or CBS or whatever other cable channels you listen to, 
and you're all shook up about the presidential election, you're all shook up about what's happening in Europe, and you're all shook up, it's fine to be aware of that because we can be praying for that. As you hear it, you just pray for it, say, I'll pray for that. But on the other hand, it begins to, begins to seep into you the same way music begins to seep into you. Unless you surround yourself with worshipful music and where you're worshiping God and where you're singing and meditating the thing with, over the things of the Lord. But anyway, I thought to myself, boy, that's remarkable that he said, hey, don't give me that newspaper because I want to really feed myself from what it's saying in the Word of God, from what God is saying. That's what I want. I want to be able to meditate on the things of the Lord. And even when it says you sit in the seat of mockers, you, you ever find people that they're so cynical. Everything, everything is wrong. You know what I mean? Or so the, the, the government has this conspiracy against all of us, or, or this person, or, or their boss has this conspiracy against them, or, or this is this, or this is that, and, and, and their kids are conspiring against them, or, or their relatives are conspiring. And they're so cynical, they're so cynical. They never find the truth of the word that works in total reverse, where you bring a blessing, and guess what? You're blessed in return. And so... We, uh, we have one neighbor who, who is just, her, her, little, her little boy this past week got kicked out of kindergarten. Now, how do you, you ever get kicked out of kindergarten? So she's all, she's all bent out of shape, and she's, she comes to us, you know, to Vine Eye. And it's the second time he's been kicked out in three weeks. And the, the little kid, and now you say to yourself, if you start out in kindergarten, get kicked out two times already in, in, in three weeks, what is, what's it going to be? later on in life, you know what I mean? And she's just completely shook up, but it's all the, you know, she don't go to God with the issue. It's all the teacher's fault. It's all the school's fault. And they got a new superintendent, and it's all this, and it's all that. And, and he, he won't, and I think it's maybe a little bit of that, because they said he won't listen to anybody, you know what I mean? And I, and so then when I let her finish talking after a half hour, he just was like, I said, now, Lawson, before I leave, give me a hug. You know, so he comes over and he gives me a hug. And I said, now, see? I said, he'll be just fine. You know what I mean? He, he li- why does he listen to me? Well, then she started on, well, the teacher, the teacher this and the teacher that. I, got, I, cl- I grew up with a father who said, I don't care what trouble you get in school, it is never the teacher. I just want to tell you that right now. Because if you go to school and you cause no trouble you are never going to have teacher trouble. So if the teacher, at that time, the teacher could give you a whoop on the rear end with a ruler or something, today they can't do that. But if that teacher does that to you, you're going to get 10 of them at home because it's not the teacher. And, oh, <laughs> and so that's the, kind of educa- that's the kind of education I had. And uh, it, it was really, really good for me because I had a dependence on people then that uh, I knew that it was more, more my fault than it was their fault. But anyway, little, little Lawson, he got kicked out two times already. And he, he's the sweetest little kid. If he was standing right here right now, yeah, he'd be all over the place, eating donut holes like Johnny's little boys and stuff. <laughs> and he'd, he'd be doing those same things, and he won't, won't sit in his seat in class. He stands up on, a, on the desk and that kind of stuff. And she tells him, sit on the seat, and he goes under the desk. You know, you know the kind of thing that little kids do? She didn't even go to school until her in first grade. That's what happened to me. Anyway, and so, um, but my point is that people are going to the wrong place for the, source of, for the source of food. They're going to the wrong places for the source of food. And consequently, bitterness 
Bitterness keeps rising up in them. Bitterness, 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 more bitterness. I hate this person. I hate that person. I can't find it. There's these separations in life that take monumental, monumental effort to heal. We don't want to live that way. We want to live under the grace of God, expecting the very best out of one another. And that takes work. That takes energy. And that takes, that, that's something that will come from meditation. And I believe if you're meditating in the Lord every day, where every, sport, sport, every moment you have, you're meditating on the Lord, um, surely goodness, and, follow, uh, goodness and, <clears throat> and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely, surely. I think I'm riding my car and surely goodness and mercy. Yeah, you've got this thing, but surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Maybe God is allowing this. I've had literally, I don't know how many people found out about this that have called me, that have wanted to sit down with me and talk with me, that God is actually using this sickness that I have to reach more people. If one person, I said to the Lord just praying yesterday, I said, if one person is drawing closer to you or becomes saved over this thing that I have, it will be worth everything that I have to go through. And I think if we can look at it that way, then God will give us the grace to go through whatever that is. And God may heal me today yet or tomorrow. I I don't know. I may go for my next test. I have a meeting with them on Wednesday of this coming week, and it may be perfect. I I don't know. But however God, if we can finally get into a position where we say, God, whatever it takes in my life to use me to glorify yourself or to use you to glorify God, you know what? You've got the right guy or the right gal for it because I'll go through it. I will be poured out like a drink offering if necessary, if it will benefit your glory somehow, some way. Now, that's easier to say when you're 70 than when you're 17 because now you're 17, you're looking at your whole life and you say, well, I don't know if I want to be poured out as a drink offering now at 17. I'd rather wait till I'm 70 like Chuck. But <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, is that you can be 70 and subconsciously, before this happened, you're still thinking about what you're going to do in 15 years. I talked to a guy who was 83 the other day, and he's talking about what he's going to do 10 years from now. I thought to myself, boy, he's a real, that's a bold character, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but subconsciously, you just sort of think that, don't you? I mean, you, I mean, you, just, you, you just think, and you never know until some crisis happens. But if you can be poured out, if you can get yourself to say whatever it takes, God, to bring you glory... You've got the right guy, or you've got the right gal for it, because that's me. And um, I, I, I just cannot believe what God has shown me in the last three months. But the part that struck me is that I would be a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And I thought about that, a tree planted, a tree planted. See, I've gone through these things where you read the Bible in a year. You know, we used to do that in our church years ago. Who's all, let's all read the Bible in a year. And you go through it and you read it like mad. You know what I mean? You do the New Testament, the Old Testament, one, two and one every day, and you get through it at the end of the year, December 31. Whew, I did it. But you're getting really nothing soaked in, really, because you are reading like a madman, and especially when you come to those, all those names in, in the Old Testament. And you'd sort of cheat a little bit and you'd breeze over them because you'd sort of, you know, just think, well, that God doesn't really care what I really, you know, I get all those names right. 
But then I thought, meditation is totally different. Now I read the scriptures entirely different. I read, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Like a tree. No, oh, Lord, say, that's too fast. That's too fast. Like a tree, a tree. A tree planted, a tree, tree, tree planted. And all at once, the meditation reveals this. Yeah, yeah. On my yard, there's woods around my house. And I think, the trees that I planted by my house have had special care. I planted them, I pruned them, I fertilized them, I watered them. They're totally different than the ones when I walk through the woods. They're growing, they're beautiful, but they're growing every which way, all through each other. They haven't had the care that that evergreen has had that I planted. And I thought, but this talks about, the psalmist talks about the tree that is planted and watered by streams of water. Streams, that's plural. Stream, stream, plural. So if one one's dry, I got another one. That's me. I'm a tree that's planted. You know, and it and this thing by reading it that slowly it begins to begins to become meditation to me. A tree planted. So this tree gets totally different care than one that's growing wild in the woods. And uh it was so meaningful to me, and when I, I, I've always been one that looks at nature and tries to understand the, the greatness of God. I mean, like, I'd love to live during Solomon's day when he was na- naming animals and plants and stuff. I mean, it would have been <clears throat> a real thrill for me. I, I love that kind of thing. But uh, just coming through some of the Wisconsin territory yesterday, Vi and I, and those fantastic leaves turning, I just thought, boy, great, great is the Lord. You know, great is the Lord. And I just continually say, Lord Jesus, what a creation. What a creation you have created. I just want to say that uh, one thing. Don't, don't ever call it Mother Nature. It's not Mother Nature. It's God's creation. When you're talking about the beauty of what God has created, don't, 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 don't let that pass through your lips, Mother Nature. That's what real highly educated people say. My favorite weatherman on Channel 9. He always talks, they show pictures of the end of the weather and talk about mother nature look at that fantastic sunset oh look at how mother nature did that look at that goose there look at mother nature how that goose flies what do you mean mother nature what what are you talking about the creation of god and then when i see when i see i was thinking one more little goose story a goose has a a a goose has a brain about the size of an m&m that's about the size of a goose's brain and when they're migrating they're sort of settled down in, a, in a, an area. I, I, I see that when we're at our place up north. And there's a thousand geese. And all at once, one, t- one day, one moment in the fall of the year, one goose out of the thousand says it's time to go to Central America. And one goose starts the flight. And he lifts off the water. And then four or five more and four or five more. And finally, there's a thousand in the air, and they circle just to make sure all the geese are goosing their each other to get it going. And, and, this guy, and they're flying in a circle, and they head south. One with the brain the size of an M&M who God chose to lead the pack decides to leave. Mother nature. Who are you kidding? <laughs> and so you'll, you'll remember, if you don't remember anything that I say today... <laughs> When you hear that phrase, you're going to think of me and hopefully God. You're not going to say Mother Nature anymore. We don't want to hear that among the group. We come to churches like this, 
in closing, and we hear word after word every week. And um, it reminds me sometimes of, I have cows, so I understand a lot about cows. And the cows are eating and eating and eating and they're eating and eating and eating. They've got three and a half stomachs. You know, some people call it three, some call it four because they're of the remnant kind that cud chewers or whatever you want to call it. But So you get a little cow lesson today free. And then, then after they eat and eat and eat and eat, then they lie down and they digest that. They only digest it well when they're in a lying position. So they lie down about three times a day for a couple hours each time and they chew their cud and they quit and they swallow and they go to the second stomach and they bring it up again and they chew again chew, chew, chew yeah, I know, doesn't doesn't sound good but they, they swallow it again until finally it gets to the last stomach where all the nutrients are squeezed out in the last stomach and guess what you get? Milk you thought you were thinking of something else, huh? <laughs> that goes on a different channel. That goes on a different channel. You get milk. Brown cows, white cows, black cows, they all give white milk. The beauty of God, God's creation. But here's what I thought about when I thought of that. I was watching these cows and I thought, how many messages have I sat under in church where I'd never, I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate, but I never digested. I never took that message and took it home, and broke it apart, and digested it. What was the pastor speaking to me that day? What, 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 what did he speak? Or what did that lady that I just met, who shared this wonderful word of the Lord, give to me? Did I just eat and eat and eat? Was a Christian just ate and ate and ate, and never laid down, and never digested and broke apart all my eating? God has created all of these things for us to learn from. These wonderful things for us to learn from. And are there any uh, aeronautical engineers in the group? Good. Then if this story is a little bit inaccurate, I won't be in trouble. <laughs> I was sharing that one little thing with some church and this lady, I am, oh boy. I said, well, I might have it a hair wrong, but I want you to just think about what I'm saying. The honeybee and the bumblebee are two different creatures. But the bumblebee's wings are about the size of a honeybee, but yet it weighs ten times more. And so the bumblebee weighs ten times more than the honeybee, but its wings are about the same size. The bumblebee is not supposed to fly. But guess what? The bumblebee don't know it, so it flies anyway. But the truth of the matter is, is that when scientists or engineers studied that, they studied these insects when it comes to airplanes because they said there must be some reasons why a big heavy bee can fly and do what it does the same as a little bee with the same size wings. So under careful, careful review and study, now this I'm not saying that this is exactly how it happened, but this is how I've learned it. The bumblebee's wings are uh, shaped just a little bit differently, and when it's flying, the ends turn up a little bit. So consequently, about 20 years ago, when the airline industry found that out through aeronautical engineering, 
there's one, one thing they always try and correct. You'll, you'll know what I'm, what I'm going to say. Um, they, um, what happened is they developed winglets on the wings. So 20 years ago, you always flew with a straight-wing airplane, but now every airplane you get on has got winglets on the end of the wing. What they found out was that the reason the bumblebee could fly is because those things eliminated vibration and increased lift. That's how God knew that way before aeronautical engineers knew it 20 years ago. God, God knew that at creation, that that's how he had to deal with the bumblebee. So all at once we get, we get winglets that turn up on the end on major air. You say, well, why don't you have that on fighter jets? Because you don't have it on fighter jets because they're not carrying the weight. So they're like a honeybee. But a bumblebee is like an airplane that carries anywhere from 130 to 520 people, plus all kinds of luggage and freight, everything else. So they found with these winglets that you reduce, you increase lift, and you reduce vibration. Who do you credit for that? Mother Nature? Nah. You you, You credit God for that. And... I'm just more and more impressed with the power of God, but the greatest thing that's happened to me in the last three months is the people of God. I've had people call me searching for a word for me that God has spoken through his word. And I just, I guess I just can't believe it. I've given what I thought was fairly insignificant Thing I mean, I, when you think of people who are really significant, you think of guys like Billy Graham and stuff like that. Who, but yet God's called most of us to a much smaller world, but yet a large world for Him. But people were calling me from all over, that they were finding it out what my situation was because they would look at this MDS and the first thing they people do nowadays is they go to the internet and they put this in the internet and they say, "Oh wow, I better call Chuck while he's still alive." You know what I mean? And they get on the, get on the horn and, and call me. And they search and they strain for a word. Philippians 3 says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That also, when I read that passage the other day, that straining caught me. And I thought, what is that likened to, Lord? Because in the word of God, it's very often that the, that the Lord refers to childbirth as a real strain, as a real, it'd be like childbirth. You ladies here, us men don't know it, except those of us who had kidney stones, we know a little bit about it. They say it's like childbirth, I don't know which, which is worse or which is better, I don't know. But, but when it, if, you, if you're a lady and you've had children, born, born children, you know what straining is all about. Now imagine that, that we're called to be straining toward what lies ahead straining, not just go to church, not just hearing another good message, but straining to what lies ahead. That's what I'm encouraging you to seek God today. Use that word, straining, straining, to say, what can I do? How effective can I be? Because you haven't got time for arguments with people, bitterness, trouble, There's enough troubles in this world that will come without searching for them. But straining towards the things of God, 
praying, feeding your own soul, getting up in the morning, say, Lord, take this all away, all my, all my suffering away, all my bitterness away, because I'm straining toward what is ahead, and I'm forgetting what is behind. And you'll find more value in the Word. I just got a card from a lady yesterday that was in my mail and uh, just had three very distinct passages for me that I'm being fed by the Word of God through God's wonderful people. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for anything on earth. I don't even know if I'd trade this journey right now. Yes, it does trouble me from time to time, but it's a journey that is so effective in my life that I can't tell you the joy that I have probably equal sorrow from when I lay in bed at night. You think about it and you say, because I spent my whole life trying to make people happy, and now people are sad over what's happening to me. So that part is hard for me. But um, I am straining for what lies ahead. And more than anything in the world... Um, I just want, I just want this thing that I'm that I'm suffering through right now, and I'm not even doing that much suffering. Um, I want God to use it for His glory. But the community that I live in, people mostly in these three churches that we live in, um, have been my strength. And people aren't calling me for anything other than what comes from the Word. And I appreciate anyone who proclaims the name of Christ, but I will say one thing. My, <clears throat> I still go to work at the office. Um, I can't say every day, but most days, right, Frank? And uh, my Catholic friends who I know that we do business with and stuff, they say to me, Chuck, I found out about it. I'm lighting a candle for you. Okay, that's how they express it. And uh, one of them even said to me, um, he said, I prayed for you three times today, and I haven't done that for anybody in years. And so that is how they respond. My traditional friends who are in traditional Dutch denominations, <laughs> or where I come from, or any other denomination that you may think of, they say to me, my wife and I are thinking about you. But I know what they really mean is that they're praying for me. And when I ask them what they're thinking about, they say, well, we pray for, we pray for you, but we're, we're, we're thinking of you. But my friends in the churches that we have and any related churches that talk to me and call me are saying, I'm searching God's word for you. I'm searching. I can't say right now what it is, but I'm searching. I'm searching. And then I'll get a call or an email or a card and this is what God gave me. This is for you. I believe it. I've been praying and praying and praying. And this is what God's given me for you, Chuck. And that's the difference. And that is the lifeblood of what I'm living for and with. And I will say that um, on my last blood draw two, three weeks ago, it's not getting any better. It went from 28 down to 20, and now it's back up to 25. Um, the hemoglobin is up just a hair. White cells are up just a hair. But they're not going down. They're staying even. And uh, they found, when they did that second uh, bone marrow, they found no bad chromosomes. And that led the doctor at University of Chicago and my doctor, who is in team with him, to say to me, 
in all of Chicago, in all of the research that we've done, University of Chicago is one of the largest hospitals that there are, we can find no one, no one in all of our bank of research that has, is responding or has what you have. Not one. You're the only one. Because there should be these bad chromosomes that lead to this, and there should be one or two other things. But <coughs> Vi said to me, you really are one of a kind, evidently, but not the one of a kind that I really want to be. But uh, And so they said the urgency now, uh, when he spoke about urgency, is not weeks, it's not days, it's not months. He said it could be years. So if it stays the same and I can live with 25 uh, platelets and you need 150, uh, so what? As long as I feel good and I do feel good. So praise God and just keep praying that God will do a mighty work. And whether you have a disease or whether you have a trouble in your life or whether you have no answers or you have no job or you have no whatever crisis is affecting you, you feed yourself every single morning in the Word of God. And God will find and be and, and hang out in a fellowship with young people and middle-aged people and older people that will be a support for you, and that will give you the advice that you need to prosper in this world. Prospering is not money. You can have a million dollars if everything. My friend Jerry, who I'm praying for, he's got everything. They got, I mean, that you would want as far as material is concerned, but. He's very, very lonely and, and very sick uh, spiritually. And so uh, pray for him. Pray for the own needs that you guys have. Uh, it's a pleasure always to be with you. I don't, next message I won't talk about health issues, but I just was hoping that you would um, sympathize with <clears throat> a few moments of that so you could be praying for our family and for me in particular that God would carry on a good work. Okay? Praise God.